Hello, and welcome to this episode of Money Movement. 2022 is off to an amazing start for USDC and for the adoption of stablecoins in the broader DeFi and, and Web3 landscape. Just looking back at 2021, USDC grew from $4 billion in circulation at the start of the year to now, today, over $46 billion USDC in circulation. And over that time, we've seen some very significant developments. The growth and adoption of layer two blockchain innovations on top of Ethereum, growth and significant scaling in layer one blockchains that are providing a really fertile ground for DeFi innovation, enabling DeFi protocols to scale, provide easier access. And that's really transforming what's possible for developers and users in the crypto economy. We also saw USDC flip Tether on Ethereum, a huge milestone in the growth of regulated, trusted, transparent dollar stablecoins, where now today USDC is the largest stablecoin on Ethereum. And a huge part of that growth has been the success of DeFi and the innovation that DeFi is bringing on top of that ecosystem. We're also seeing growth coming from all of these new markets in Web3, games, NFTs, DAOs, across all of these seeing growth in USDC. So it's with that backdrop that we're bringing you this great conversation with Stani from Ave, who's remained one of the most significant innovators in the DeFi space and is continuing to lead the way as we go into 2022. Yeah, thanks for having me here uh, in the uh, show. Yeah, totally. Well, uh, I know we were in the midst of a conversation last night on Clubhouse, so we'll just like just keep the conversation going. As I was saying before the show, I think I always love to start a little bit with people's personal journey. And I know your journey like starts in obviously your whole life behind you, but in, in terms of crypto being really early in, in decentralized finance, really one of the first creators really in, in DeFi. I'd kind of love to hear, you know, First, just what was the aha moment that um, helped you, you know, get inspired to work on DeFi? Was it you know, the Ethereum white paper? Was it something after that? What, like, where did that start? And then maybe a little bit of ETHLens history, and and then obviously we'll get into Ave in a little bit. So I guess uh, pretty much I've been always a bit involved in uh, finance. So I started to code very early. I, I think I was thirteen years old when I started to code. PHP and at 15, uh, I got excited about Ruby, Ruby and Rails. Never included with Cold Fusion. <laughs> Actually, I tried to do something. I was too young. I think I was nine years old. So, okay. <laughs> <laughs> my brother was more into that. That's great. <laughs> I was building like more of like financial applications when I was 18. And, and practically, I run a lot of into kind of like regulation kind of like topics in terms of regulation and I went to study law and because I really wanted to understand like in like how you can build financial applications and how to deal with regulation and at some point end of my kind of like studies I, I started to research on contracts so how to make more efficient agreements and and one of the things I actually stumbled upon was Ethereum and smart contracts 
And there was a uh, interesting component there that you basically can create code that doesn't change in, in the sense that you can have it as an immutable code or community governance code. And that for me was kind of like a uh, moment when I realized that actually you could create uh, all kinds of financial applications yeah. and you know without the need of trust. And one of the things we started to build as a proof of concept was uh, pretty much lending and borrowing. And this was four and a half years ago. <laughs> right. Right. It's, 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 it's super cool. I mean, I think um, yeah, I actually had a background in political science and became a technologist and have always been interested, it sounds like, like you in this sort of intersection of sort of what governance is in the world at large and then its intersection with, with open, open platforms and, and technology. And yeah, I mean, I, I think you know, b- back in, in 2013, when the first kind of wave of, of companies, a lot of wave of companies were starting, like, you know, as a technologist, what was interesting was was not just like there's this digital currency. Like it, it almost seemed like obvious. Like yeah, of course we're going to have digital currency to work everywhere. But it's this programmable money idea that was so powerful and that can really radically change the world. So that's why I got into it too. And like the building blocks just took a while to get in place. So I, I know if you were building Ethland back four and a half years ago, right? Things were pretty raw. <laughs> well, yeah, pretty yeah. Raw. Obviously, you've taken a, another uh, another attempt at it here with Ave, which is obviously achieving enormous success now. So, you know, obviously, congratulations. But maybe just a little bit of the origin of Ave. Yeah, I, I guess it was like uh, at some point. I mean, we started with Ethland and created kind of like first market for lending and borrowing on chain, and it was pretty much bilateral order matching in the sense that we had. We had users that wanted to lend out assets and other ones who wanted to practically borrow those assets against the collateral. And that was time when we didn't have actually that much of market capitalization in various assets that were used as collateral. So we decided not to go to a pooled kind of like uh, collateralization model. And this was the time where actually stable points weren't existing in, in Bitcoin. So practically the borrowings were Ethereum or USD Ethereum, which was kind of like a very tricky. So you can imagine the use case was not just narrow with the DeFi users back then, but also like what you could do with your borrowings. Yeah. And I think it was 2018 when the, the market conditions were a bit different in the sense that there was a bear market that uh, started quite heavily. And 2018, uh, we, we kept continuing like building in different iterations, but we realized that kind of like uh, Ethland was a bit of a, meme in the sense that it's Ethereum lending and we, we created the name, but we understood that we're creating a lot of uh, more serious infrastructure and we wanted to rebrand something that's more kind of like a general, but has a very big community vibe. We always been in, in the sense that we wanted to build kind of like we build tech, but we also want to build a lot of culture because end of the day, the tech and the finance is going to be kind of like be connected with everything that will exist in uh, the on-chain ecosystem. and and then. Uh, I think it was well, last year, 2020, January, we, we practically launched the Aave protocol. And since then, uh, pretty much from zero, we have grown into a protocol that holds 5 billion worth of value, which is incredibly unbelievable for, for me and, and the whole team. Yeah, it's truly incredible. So I, I think for um, for folks that have been in, in, in DeFi and some of the audience on Money Movement definitely are, are active market participants, have a pretty solid understanding. But... I think one of the cool things that's happening right now, like as we speak, is like 
this is like, this is getting on the radar of like so many more people. And so there's a lot of people who are just like really trying to understand like, what is this? What are the implications of this? I actually, I just did a media interview this morning and it was, it was all about this. And it was from like a really mainstream, like uh, kind of like payments and banking kind of, you know, place. And it was kind of like, how do you translate this for, for people in TradFi or, or traditional finance and, or the lay person. And, and so like, Maybe just like from your perspective, kind of really breaking it down into like basic building blocks. What is DeFi for borrowing and lending, right? And how does that compare to I, I want to like lend to a bank and get paid something or I, I want to borrow from a bank? Like just fundamentals, like kind of like De DeFi 101 for people. Yeah, I guess probably one of the most interesting parts is related to DeFi kind of like properties is the, the fact that the users has the opportunity to choose not to give custody. So as a DeFi user, and, and for me, DeFi is, is also Bitcoin, it's Ethereum, it's it's whatever is being built on Ethereum, which has decentralized governance. Yeah. And there you can actually choose that actually I, I don't need I, I can keep my custody of my funds and I can choose what I will participate in in a permissionless fashion or then I can actually choose a custodian if, if I actually want to do that. And DeFi kind of like allows this permissionless access to pretty much to choose whatever you want to uh, participate in, in this ecosystem. And by ecosystem, we, we, we're talking about whatever is, is built on Ethereum mm -hmm. that um, you can interact with. And compared to, for example, traditional finance, uh, usually you, you basically, you're a customer with a bank, you're pretty much uh, using their services and and to change your like service providers from one bank to another, and that's a big hurdle. And also like being able to keep your accounts in one place, uh, your, your funds in in one account, and participating in something other uh, service providers offerings, it's it's not very like uh, how to say there isn't much of communication and interoperability in place. And and what DeFi actually does, it just takes and, and uh, makes all of this kind of like infrastructure to communicate with each other. So, so practically, not just that you can practically select whatever you want to use, but there's also developers, there's thousands of developers practically working every day in open source fashion to contribute and create new products and services that actually remove inefficiencies. Yeah. I, I think those are like the, the main thing. There's of course other things related to what makes DeFi awesome, but yeah. I guess from, traditional finance perspective, that's the kind of like interesting part. Yeah, yeah, totally. I think a lot of times, you know, people, they're looking for analogies to like, how, how is this going to be different or better? A lot of times there's this concept of, you know, sort of the, the internet sort of can make things 10x better, or 100x better, or whatever it is. And I think if when one, one starts to use DeFi, you intuitively... I think people grasp all of those things that you've described, just like how, how radically empowering that is and, and efficient. A lot of times people don't even realize, right, that like we have, you know, decentralized communications. We have decentralized information sharing. We have decentralized, you know, messaging. We have decentralized video. Like, and it's a, there's semantics, right? Because in a purist sense, like decentralized would be everyone's running a peer on a peer-to-peer -peer network. But like, we have, you know, essentially permissionless protocols that are at a minimum fully distributed that people can connect to. And that's like the internet. And so it's like, well, just think about what the internet's done for how we can share information and data and communicate and connect. It's these 
open networks, permissionless protocols, mostly developed under, you know, open source efforts and open intellectual property. And I, I kind of call that like the, the inherent DNA of the internet. It's sort of the, a lot of the internet was born that way. And it's just taking all those same things that we take for granted and saying, well, that's what's going to happen with money. I think one of the things, and I, I talk a lot about like the future of markets, the future of capital markets, effectively like Ave is a capital market. It's a form of capital market uh, around borrow and lend. And, you know, one of the other things that the internet seems to do really, really well is establish long tail markets, effectively enabling every level of participant in, in the world to participate in a market, whether that is as a, a, a creator, a seller, a musician, uh, you know, all these incredible platform marketplaces you know, sharing economy is like another dimension of that as well, but like basically like these long tail markets. And I like to think of, of, of crypto and DeFi as enabling like long tail capital, mar long tail capital markets. And I'm curious what you think about the future. I mean, we, we have that with like DEXs. They're like long tail capital markets. Like anyone can go, you know, cre create a market. But when you think about things like the core behavior of borrowing and lending, there's obviously potentially so many different ways that that could be sliced and diced and surfaced to people who need to borrow or who need to lend. Do you envision Aave and the broader space like continuing to really like diversify out the richness of, of how that can work so that it can service not just people who are, say, you know, pledging crypto to borrow on margin to trade, but like a more regular everyday kinds of borrow and lending? Yeah, so one of the like really coolest thing that that is happen happening with the other protocol is that exactly it's it's because it's great this kind of like a it's running on this like in internet of finance so so pretty much like if you have a internet connection you you're pre pretty much connected into the system uh, in the same kind of like a mindset so yeah. anyone can actually get the same yields what what the the protocol provides so it kind of like democratizes many things so. For example, I'm here in, in London now. I get the same access to the same yield as someone else would get from, uh, let's say, Brazil, you know, Hong Kong, uh, Singapore, and, and so forth. So, so kind of like that's the, the kind of main element that you actually have this like global market. And, and, and pretty much when you deposit to Aave, let's say, USDC, you get back so-called A token, so AUSDC. That AUSDC algorithmically goes in your balance, and that makes it kind of like a... Uh, USD-nominated global savings account in, in DeFi in, in one way. Yeah. And I, I think it's it's very, very much something that uh, provide, like empowers uh, in, in many places because you don't have in all, all regions access to USD-nominated yeah. particular income and that's, yeah. that has automated treasury management. It's incredible. The concept is that you told someone like you have like a savings account and you can take that savings account and just like give it to someone, <laughs> not yeah. give it to them, you can sell it to them, but you could actually give it to them if you wanted to give it to them as well. And it's just, and it continues to be this yield generating savings account. And you yeah. can pass it around just like you pass around an MP3 file and uh, whatever. And, and people are like, what? Like that doesn't, that doesn't, that doesn't sound possible. <laughs> and what's, what's cool about this, Jeremy, is, is that like when we look at uh, like traditional US dollar as a kind of like a, a payment instrument, so yeah. US dollar, every time you pay with it, Practically, whoever receives it, if the value of the USD practically decrease, uh, decreases yeah. Yeah. because of the inflation. And here you have like 
practically a payments currency, yeah. uh, increasing in, in balance wherever you are sending it. And it's practically backed by USD, yeah. USDC. So yeah. it, it's, it's very interesting. Uh, like of it, we don't have any kind of like a, um, we don't put efforts to make it as a payment currency, but we were, we're happy to see that this kind of like algorithmic balance increases can work uh, in, in, in even USDC level or anywhere because it's a nice way to, to credit value to the uh, holders. Yeah. Now yeah. it's brilliant. It'll be fascinating to see whether um, these, you know, yield generating dollar tokens like become, you know, more common for people transacting with them. Uh, just like, I don't want that deflationary or that, that uh, you know, inflationary thing that's going down in value. I only want to accept, you know, AUSDC or CUSDC or whatever. But uh, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, I, I think like, one of the big things I'm interested in, in hearing your thoughts on is, you know, t- today, right? P- people are 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 pledging, you know, collateral to to borrow, right? And they're pledging, you know, hard collateral, right? Because it's liquid collateral and it's liquid collateral in the crypto markets. Whether it's like you know, like ETH wrapped Bitcoin, USDC, you know, Dai, and so on, right? So these are in some ways like the hardest assets that there are because they're these digital bear instruments and you know you can you know that's that's why people are comfortable with this in, in many ways right it's not some fuzzy thing where there's like this legal agreement and you don't really know what's going to happen but like clearly a lot of this becomes like really interesting when the real world becomes tokenized and when these protocols can surface value for people against the real world and I wonder how we get there. I mean, we, we we were talking last night about tokenized equities and like Sam is like, he's doing it, you know, uh, and there are going to be a lot of other people that do it too. And I think there are going to be people in the US. And and so that'll be a view into that. And, you know, I know of just from our own work, like, you know, tokenized fund products that are that are quite significant in scale that will go on chain and people will be able to, you know, people who could never access like ETFs or certain types of funds, like, We'll be able to access those, you know, with just a crypto wallet anywhere in the world. It's really powerful. But what about like other things? I think p- part of the idea of of tokenization is that you know the value of so many other things in the world can be represented on chain, and then can people can not just exchange it, but that they can actually borrow against it or lend to to those that want it. How do you think that evolves? Yeah, so I guess like what we see now quite a lot is is practically tokenizations on something that is uh, fungible. For example, like US dollars are a pretty good thing that has happened uh, recently in terms of like tokenization, and that's that's one of the most one of the most used collaterals even in sure. Aave. And but there's like a lot of value related to things that are less uh, fungible, actually non fungible properties. There's there's value in creator yeah. economy. There's everywhere value, and I think like what um, we definitely will see this value transform uh, at some point and have this kind of like a cryptographic, you know, representation. Yeah. But I guess like, uh, for example, what the circle has done pretty well is that you guys have taken like one particular thing and tokenizing it very well. And when we're looking like, let's say tokenization of real value, real estate and whatnot, we try to kind of like solve uh, the issue too widely. So I, I guess like the, the solution will be that we, we try to tokenize something very locally whether it's, it's timber, whether it's it's commodities or yeah. uh, real estate, and try not to kind of achieve it in a global scale yet, uh, and and try to move like step by step in in that sense. 
But I think that value is coming. And um, I guess one of the coolest thing I, I've been now following quite a lot is, is practically the uh, labor market on chain. So, so things yeah. like, for example, uh, Gitcoin that you can actually, you actually don't need stable coins to, or, or let's say right. fiat currency to get to stable coins and on board. Right. You could work and get stable coins, for example. And this kind of new onboarding mechanism, I, I think it's very valuable. But I guess like in terms of like tokenization, that's something that's probably will progress quite a lot now in, in during this year. But what it comes like, like one of the things what's important about DeFi is that we get the liquidity back into traditional finance. So currently we have liquidity kind of like a crunch that we need more liquidity into DeFi, but at some point we need to get that liquidity back into where basically people are doing also business. That's where we, in our, we have this credit delegation uh, mechanism where, where you, you know, you can whitelist some of the borrowers, for example, might be institutions or, or whatnot, uh, might be from traditional finance, and the depositors could delegate their credit lines. So when they deposit to Aave, they, they earn, but they might not exercise the credit line. So they delegate to them, and, and they are practically financing their businesses and businesses in, in traditional finance and consumers. So end of the day, like we might end up in a situation that where someone buys a house or a car, that yeah. they comes from DeFi. Yeah. That's exactly where I, uh, I'm excited about, <laughs> you know, is, is, is sort of delegating out those market functions into DeFi protocols themselves, creating those kind of meta structures to make that possible. It's, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting. I mean, you know, I, I think, yeah, with USDC, like there is this kind of assurance layer, there's a governance layer, people understand like, you know, circle is bound by like law and where, you know, there's regulators making sure like we don't, you know, run off with, with, with reserves or, or, or that we don't, we may maintain the, the full reserves. And, and so that, that certainly provides trust, but yeah, something like a house or a car, or, you know, I like to think about if there become more seamless ways to like tokenize everyday objects, like in a community, tokenize, you know, the snowblower. I live where there's a lot of snow. Um, but like someone is a snowblower and it can be a community object. Yeah. And, you know, you public have good, basically. Yeah, public good and, and you can transact on it. And I'm not sure if you've looked at our Zora. It's a really powerful concept and it sort of fuses real world objects with tokenization as non-fungible tokens that ownership can pass between people and then they're they're sort of re redeemable and and what Alzora is doing is they're creating the assurance market so that market participants know like sort of like with eBay in the early days like how do I know like I'm going to get my beanie babies how do I know you're not a fraudster right so the assurance layer is really really key moving assurance models risk and reputation models on chain as well can be very very significant to this kind of thing. Our story is pretty pretty fascinating because I, I mean it's like I kind of see it you know as something like you have that today like Etsy so so creators can actually do different kinds of physical objects and, yep. and pretty much tokenize so you, you have value and you can tokenize before the object even practically exists in, yeah. in, in right theory. Yeah, they're, they're doing that on Arzora. Like there's people are saying like, I, I, I'm, here's the design for something I want to make. Yeah. It's a little bit of a, what was the um, crowdfunding site that people would make things for? It still exists. I forget what it's called. Kickstarter, it was, right? Kickstarter, Kickstarter, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. So it's, there's a little bit of, of that, which is like, you know, I, I have, I'm, I'm going to make these like 
this limited edition, like really cool designer jeans. I'm going to figure out how to make them and I'm going to make 20 of them and you can buy, you know, their NFTs and you can, you can basically pay for them and, and you'll, you'll get them and and it's creating a scarcity, you know, desirable object that yep. then is tradable on chain as well. You know, what's the cool part? Like this allows actually more people to create things and less things. So you don't need to create, let's say hundreds of thousands of t-shirts that are looking the same. You can create just less and, you know, People want that, you know. It, it creates more brands and, and right. more kind of like creators as well. Like it's it's really really empowering. Yeah, yeah. And this is a little bit of what I was getting to earlier, which is like the internet's really great at long tail markets. And if we can actually move the marketplace and the role of the marketplace on chain, and we can bring you know forms of identity and reputation and th that assurance layer that you know used to require like big intermediaries like eBay or Amazon or Alibaba, and you can have that be on chain. And, and you have like labor markets tokenized so that, you know, you have this tokenization of work and all that can happen through these efficient protocols. It's like this new substrate for organizing labor output, economic coordination, and actually making things for people that are useful yeah. <laughs> and, and creating value, right? And cool part about that is, you know, kind of like what I will see probably, we already see that there's developers working in multiple protocols and, you know, and collaborating quite a lot. So you kind of actually like with open source and with this like ownership economy, you actually can choose who you work with and what you work upon. And I, I think that's that's something that if it starts to scale, yeah. it, it might be quite, quite interesting. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, that's, I mean, that's one of the things I wanted to talk to you about too, was, you know, you're community governed, you have a governance token. So, you know, again, just for, for the, for the um, people who are new to this, right. Ave protocol, it's not a company. Uh, it's actually just this machine that exists on the internet. That's immutable. It's just this machine that provides this function as a public good to, to the world. It has some intrinsic economics. And it, it also coordinates work and coordinates decisions yep. through, through the governance token. You know, how is that working like today in practice, just in terms of coordinating work, coordinating decisions, improving things like that? Yeah, it's, it's quite interesting because like it, it's something that we haven't been used to because like Ave has been known like that we have very high rate of innovation and we can practically develop and ship very secure code. And with a lot of innovation, and now kind of like the with the governance and everything, it's it's completely different because you know if you want to build something or someone proposes in, in the community, it has to go to this layer of of governance where everyone can actually uh, look at the idea, brainstorm, get involved. And I, I think at at first it it was a bit of like a, it felt a bit burdensome, but as people started to get more involved. Actually, I understood in that particular moment that, you know, the, uh, probably the decentralized governance is one of the best kind of like a mechanisms of, of the on-chain uh, ecosystem and, and what smart contracts are providing. And yeah. practically anyone actually could go and make a proposal to the DAO that, hey, I want to build something cool or I have a cool idea and probably will cost like this amount of funds. Can I get a grant? And, and some of the ideas are absolutely amazing. Like we do a lot of engineering, like economical, uh, you know, technical implementations 
but the amount of people there are in the community uh, with, with different ideas, it's just, it's amazing, actually. And I think, like, we're now in the state where we actually are kind of, like, trying to organize a bit more uh, the work so, so that the governance is more inclusive, that anyone can come and just start to ask grants, whatever they want to build. So it's a process that takes a lot of time because, like, in Ave, the building the community took us roughly, like, over four years or so. So all of the all of the kind of like a success in, in community wise and, and and branding, it's it's actually something that's compounded over years. And, yeah. and the same thing will be with the governance. I, I think the other governance will look good in five to ten years from now. And then it will be kind of like very interesting to see like how it will function. And one interesting thing I want to add to here is that we recent, recently launched the version two of the governance, which allows not only uh, delegating uh, voting power, but delegating actual proposition power. And we see like proposition power in a way that uh, w- whenever you want to make a proposal on chain, you have to put it on chain. And if there is positive outcome of the vote, that uh, code will be executed on chain. So practically, proposition power is a way of other token holders to actually choose the code makers, the lawmakers, uh, or wh- whatever is the terminology. And then delegating voting power is how you could actually choose the protocol uh, politicians, unless you want to keep those powers to yourself. And this kind of like creates actually interesting element because the, the code makers are competing of, of creating good proposals. And when we look at, let's say, uh, how governments work, you know, you have a government that makes the proposals and you either vote yes or no, but now you have an element of competing kind of like proposals that are going on chain. And that's like a very fascinating part. And because the strategies, like you can have strategies in, in the governance, it means that uh, we can create a new market where not just Aave token has voting power, but let's say if there's assets such as Uniswap, liquidity shares as a collateral, same from uh, Sushi and Balancer, you can you can basically give voting power to Uni, you can give voting power to Bal, Sushi tokens, and make more inclusive governance. And I, I think that's the next step in, in, in DeFi, that everyone everything becomes a bit more a mesh. Everyone works together in multiple things and also kind of like govern commonly all of the like main protocols. Yeah, it is, I think, the greatest laboratory in the world for the future of coordination and, and economic coordination and, and, and work coordination. It's just so, so exciting from that perspective. You know, the, the, just building on that and tying back to some of the other things we talked about, I'm really excited about experimentation in you know, these new types of, of, I call them corporate forms, but basically like we had joint stock corporations and now we have DAOs is a really genuine new form of kind of corporate organization. But effectively we're, for the first time, we, we have a, a substrate that's global that allows for the creation of, of organizations that can, where anyone in the world can participate economically Anyone can participate in various forms of stakeholding and where you have the ability to structure really innovative forms of decision-making. And when you think about what a corporation is, right, it's, it's a token that has certain privileges. It's a treasury that the, the, that token basically governs what happens with that treasury. And then it's this nexus of contracts, maybe, you know, between, you know, there are entities and individuals that are, are, are interacting with that entity. And there's such this enormous edifice of legal, political, 
economic infrastructure to kind of support that. And now we're radically simplifying it and in many ways. And, you know, I, I think one of the one of the things I'm just I'm most excited about is to see what kinds of new new corporate forms are are created. I think one of the biggest questions for our industry is, you know, how will governments treat these things? <laughs> you know, when that's sort of in a very free market way, right? I, I, I've created this thing. There's, you know, potentially thousands of people involved in it, uh, and it's it's creating things. It's creating value. Anyone's interacting with it. What, what is that? Can you tax that thing? Like, uh, do are, are the individuals subject to their local tax laws? Like, what the he- what the heck is it? So. Um, yeah. Do you think, given your background, you were studying law um, and contracts before this, do you think this is like going to require fundamental rethinking of corporate law, basically? Is it going to become, you know, like internet law is like a different kind of law? What do you see happening there? I, I think about this a lot, you know, looking at projects like Claro's open law, you know, things that are trying to figure out how to intermediate some of that. But but like at the end of the day, right, we live in these places that have armies and have taxes. And like we we have to worry about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, there's physical war, you know, and uh, I've been thinking this quite a lot. So, I, I mean, I spent all my time thinking all <laughs> everything related yeah. to you and stuff. But uh, there's like, I think there's two paths. Like one path, we just try to figure out like, like how contractually what, what's happening here, which we could kind of like see that uh, when when people come together and they choose to you know, use software to to manage their uh, relations, it's kind of like something that might be contractual, like contractual law, contractual yeah. agreement of joint efforts. You know, that's what what many of the um, corporate forms are, but they also have these statutory provisions that, in some cases, give them uh, practically limited liability which yeah. is uh, one of the key components and and yeah. and if it's only based on contractual relationship uh, you can limit this liability against your counterparties right. uh, in, in this kind of like a group but then there's the third party creditor uh, liability that you you might not have the the same uh, effect as a stat- statutory law that gives limited yeah. liability and I, I think that will be one way to just like draw simple conclusions but i don't think like that that will make that much sense compared to actually like trying to rethink what we have now. So yeah. trying to kind of like under, thinking that actually what we have here goes beyond, like like beyond what we are totally uh, just like culture. Totally. I mean, just talking about like like leveraging multiple governance tokens to like create yeah. this this nexus of these these units of, of work organization that are are connected to each other in these really ways. Like, what's that? Like, you can't do that very easily. Yeah. yeah, you can't, you can't. I mean, imagine this, like, I like in Abedal, like, we, we have, like, we have quite a lot of, like, basically participants and, like, globally, like, it, it allows you to organize and, and decide on things transparently and, and, you know, the result will execute. You know, it's just, like, why not, why, why we can't have this kind of, like, governance everywhere, you know, as a basis, like, as a totally. human right. Like, there's... Totally, just, totally. Yeah. Well, I'm hopeful that like, you know, I mean, you're, you're, you're running a grand experiment and it's just awesome. And like, it, this is in the spirit of open source. It's just like iterate, learn, improve new proposals, new designs. <laughs> and it just moves at such a powerful, fast pace. I'm, I'm really excited about 
you know, projects that are working on making creation of these types of, of, of organizations, you know, much, much easier for people. I can imagine like, like the Google apps of DAOs and like, that's just like, you know, I, I want to like get going with this. I know Aragon was sort of in that spirit as well. And, um, you know, it feels like we're still early there. And, and most, you know, most people aren't like, how do I start one of these? But there's a lot more people who want to start these. <laughs> um, a lot, a lot. And yeah. what's interesting that Aragon was, I mean, they were very early in, in like DAOs was one of the first use cases of, yeah. of on in like what you can build on Ethereum and yeah. the governance. And kind of like uh, the development, there's been a lot of interesting stuff. There is the Molotow. I mean, Argo has definitely done some interesting work. You know, Compound has been pretty nice governance. We innovated on governance as well a bit. And and, and I, I guess like there will be more models. Yeah. But still, like, I think this is something that requires quite a lot of more innovation. There, there's still like, because like one model doesn't fit for everyone. And I, I think as we we might be able to experiment more various type of governances, that makes it very interesting because th- then I see kind of like the on-chain ecosystem where where we can, you know, it's it's a big sandbox. So you can do a lot of things. There's also things that you you can play around when you have a lot of value in, in big protocols. But when you are actually creating something that you are trying to test and 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 you know see how how it works and and DAOs is exactly where where you should do and DAOs can be you know it, it doesn't have to govern finance only it can govern the, the NFT ecosystem gaming and so forth and, and gaming is actually a place where we should kind of like uh, use it as a more of a sandbox and test yeah. like how how the social interactions go there and and what you could actually use in finance even yeah 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 absolutely very cool well awesome this is a great just a great discussion I'm super pleased we could do this today love the work that you're doing. And uh, yeah, excited to just keep collaborating and, and building. Yeah, it was very fun. Thanks for having me here, Jeremy. Yeah, you're welcome. All right. See you next time. Thank you. Really enjoyable discussion there with Stani and just continuing to explore this new substrate that is forming this new global economic system in front of us at an incredible pace. Very exciting. We'll look forward to our next episode. Until then, stay well, stay safe, and stay informed.